Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the In Context and Culture podcast. Thanks once again. You've joined us for another episode. Uh, do you know what episode number this is? Is it 17 or is it 18? I think it I might know, be 18. Dude, you're so energetic for this time. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I had uh, our student leadership group just met and uh, I played Ultimate Frisbee. And if you know me, I do love Ultimate Frisbee um, because it's one thing that I, I've still got enough endurance to play. Um, I'm not an awesome basketball player, uh, but I can throw and catch a Frisbee pretty well. So I had a lot of fun doing that with some high school guys just now. Um, yeah. So, uh, how was your church service today? It was wonderful. We had a young lady saved, uh, today. And so I was just super pumped about that. And so, yeah, I'm still pretty, pretty on, on cloud nine over that deal. So, so you preached in revelation again this morning. Is that correct? I did revelation 14, one through five. So as impractical as some people might think the book of revelation is, uh, God still uses his word and especially even the book of Revelation to cause people to come yeah. to know him. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It was just a really great passage of the vision of the 144,000 on the Mount victorious with the lamb. And so uh, it was good. Yeah. It was really good. Well, now she'll be numbered among the 144,000. There you go. It's awesome. Hey, um, everybody. So if you have not been following us for a while, we've been walking through the book of Revelation in this second season. Corey, I think it might be kind of cool if we either take another season, a third season to go through some cultural issues again, like we used to, and then maybe the fourth season, we go through another book of the Bible. Um, I have some, some yeah, thoughts uh, about a book and we'll have to talk about Leviticus. It, that'll be riveting. That's it. That's it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so don't eat oh, your man, I didn't see that. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. So, um, well, hey, we've been walking through the book of Revelation. Corey, you're you're farther along in your personal study. I assume you just finished Revelation 14, so you're going to be looking at Revelation 15 this week. Um, I uh, have just uh, not very consistently, but here and there, been studying for this podcast um, because I'm teaching through the book of Revelation with our young adult students. On Sunday mornings, but we're we just taught, um, or I just taught Revelation four this morning with them, so the heavenly throne room. And is there a better passage? But um, yeah, so yeah. you're you're far farther ahead than I am in your study. If you've been listening to our podcast, you know that the last two weeks or the last three weeks that we recorded two podcasts in, uh, we have not been in chapter eight. We took a, just kind of a pause from our exegetical study. Um, and I'll just take the blame uh, upon myself. Uh, Corey is farther ahead than I am in the book. Uh, I am, as I said, studying chapter eight, and I just kind of struggled with chapter eight. I think you mentioned this was a chapter that you really struggled with as well. Oh, yeah. I struggled hard with this chapter. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I um, studying the book of Revelation is new to me. Um, I never sat under anybody teaching the book of Revelation. I only heard hearsay and references to what's going to happen in the end times uh, by pastors. Never got a Revelation class in seminary uh, or, or an undergraduate school. I've heard bits and pieces from like Dr. Schreiner, uh, who I greatly appreciate when he was teaching a little bit of the book of Revelation. But um, so a lot of this is new for me just to go line by line, verse by verse. And so um, uh, I'll note, I've noticed that in chapter four, um, there begins a little bit of discussion on how to take symbolism in the heavenly throne room and chapter six, there begins, okay, how are we going to see the seals, um, and interpret the seals throughout the course of history or just as in the future. And then chapter eight, I think there's, you kind of see in, in parts here, chapter eight, I think has been the most divisive yet. Um, so would you agree? Oh yeah, for sure. And, uh, and I would echo all of the things that you say, like I didn't have, I never sat under anybody teaching it either. And so like, this is my first time preaching through it. And so it's been super challenging, like super rewarding, but very challenging. Um, and so just there seems to be a lot turn. less, there seems to be a lot less Russian helicopters than I remember hearing about. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, literally my experience with the book of revelation in large part, unfortunately was the left behind series. And sure. so, um, <laughs> so that's probably not the best uh, resource to use uh, for this either. But yeah. Yeah. So um, today we're going to be in revelation eight. Um, so if you have your Bibles um, know that that's where we're going to be. And I think Corey, we're going to have a little bit of disagreement. Uh, on today's episode, um, but hopefully we can model for you 
what charitable disagreement looks like amongst brothers in Christ. And truly our disagreement uh, only goes as far as where we think something lands throughout history. It's not whether or not Christ is returning or anything that would be first tier issues. So um, anything you want to say? The good thing is like, I can't drive across town and like, you know, beat you up or anything because you're in Tampa and I'm in Arkansas. So anyway. Yeah. Well, and also the truth is one of us. Anyway. One of us is right, and one day you will figure out the truth, my brother. So, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, so, hey, why don't you uh, just go ahead and read? We're we'll in chapter eight, verses one through twelve. Um, we're looking now at the trumpets. We looked at the seals. Now we're at the trumpets. So, Corey, why don't you read it for us, and we'll make some comments throughout it. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and were, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it was made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that the third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. So next week, if you're reading in your Bible, you notice that there's a little bit left in chapter 8, and next week that's where we'll pick up. Um, Corey, what's going on here? We've got uh, Lamb opening the seventh seal. Um, So we've got the end of the... second series of sevens, I guess, if you consider the seven churches, the first series of sevens, second series of sevens being the seals. And then uh, in the beginning of chapter eight, uh, because there's been a brief pause called an interlude in chapter seven with the 144,000 and the multitude. Now we go back to the seals, which we just saw in chapter six. And there's an opening of the seventh seal by the lamb, the only one who's worthy to open it. And Corey, like what happens, right? It just all of a sudden goes silent. And it's, yeah. it's really unique because what we saw in the heavenly throne room is it's never silent in heaven, right? Like never, right. ever. It's unceasing praise to the God who is worthy to receive all honor, power, and glory, right? And, uh, and then there's just a, a, a unique pause, silence. It says for 30 minutes. So what are we to think about that pause, from the elders that are around the phone, uh, the throne, they they stop singing. Uh, the uh, four living creatures, the ox and the man, and they stop singing. What do we what do we, what do we think about this? Why would there be a pause? I mean, I think I think a couple of things here we can look at. Number one is that this is the seventh seal, and so there has been that interlude in between. And there's there's a lot of disagreement on what this seventh seal is. Like some commentators think that it is. Uh, the beginning that the, the, the contents of the seventh seal is the are the seven trumpets that follow. Um, I I probably don't fall there. I believe the the seventh opening of the, the seal content of that seal is the silence itself, and that and like you said, that is a great contrast to what we have seen previously, but. I think that builds builds the um, pressure, if you will, um, maybe anticipation of what is to follow. And uh, I think whenever I preach this, one of the illustrations that I used was uh, remembering as a child, whenever 
whenever something had happened and a parent was getting ready to um, exercise discipline on a child, um, punitive discipline, if you will. And, but, but in between the time that that, that child was found out and the time that the, the punishment there was amount of silence and that silence was deafening in some ways. And so for me, this, it seems like there's this building tension of what is getting ready to follow after this. And that to me, that silence in heaven is a precursor to what is getting ready to be poured out um, in wrath. And so I think you maybe have a little different view on that. What is, what is your view on it? Yeah. So I'm going to describe my view in contrast with yours. Um, really, we're not that far off um, with each other. We talked, so we were going to record this podcast this past Thursday, and it ended up being an hour and a half conversation trying to work through the differences and the nuances of our own opinions. So before I get into that, would you say, regardless of our both our, uh, you know, our interpretations of this, um, and before I contrast your interpretation with my understanding of the passage, um, would you say, regardless, that's silence in the seventh seal that follows and lead back up for a second the seals you've got the four horsemen you got war you got a conqueror you got uh death you've got um people dying uh that means i guess that's what death is <laughs> but you've got pestilence you've got the martyrs as the fifth seal crying out for the lord to take vengeance to vindicate them sixth seal you've got all these unbelievers run into the hills right they're scared uh they call upon the rocks to fall on them then, of course, you have the, the angels being told to not do anything else, right? Um, because I got to seal the servants of the Lord, chapter 7. So now we have the seventh seal. It's this long building. We even argued that we think the seals are uh, happening throughout church history. We've, we're both in agreement on that. The seals are happening mm-hmm. from the ascension of Christ to the return of Christ, the second coming, which we believe there's one of. Um, but would you argue if you get to the seventh seal with this great building, as you mentioned, that it is um, almost like uh, silent, heavy anticipation. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, so big building toward um, uh, uh, unravelings of the world in seeming chaos. Then you've got silence because God is about to bring wrath. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. So we both are in total agreement on that. I think it'd be helpful just for me to throw that out there before I kind of talk about mine. So, so Corey, you think that uh, the seven seals occur um, uh, and then there's a transition point um, uh, after the silence of the seventh seal to then the seventh trumpets. Mm -hmm. Um, So Uh, I'll just lay out and and help me nuance this and help me clarify this rightly. There's three different interpretations of how to take the uh, seals, trumpets, and bowls, but we'll just look at the seals and trumpets for now. Um, One interpretation would be that they are pretty strictly chronological. That is, in time, the seals happen uh, if you are... um, uh, uh, A futurist, you're thinking that they have not even close to happened yet. They all happen in the future, Okay. Some people maybe could argue they're happening now and then the trumpets are happening later in the future. But chronological, meaning the seals all have to take place before there's a transition, the trumpets take place, uh, and most of the book is written chronologically. That would be maybe the first interpretation. Uh, The Mm -hmm. second would be um, uh, recapitulation. So chronological first interpretation, second interpretation, recapitulation, that in some sense, the seven seals uh, are one vantage point of what's happening throughout the church age, and then the seven trumpets are another vantage point, maybe with a different audience as the vantage point, but another vantage point on what's happening throughout the church age. And to maybe speak with uh, great clarity here, that doesn't necessarily mean one goes with one, two goes with two, three goes with three, right. and exactly so on throughout the church age, right? Uh, so recapitulation, that they're both from the, the beginning of the, the, the church age, the ascension of Christ happening over time uh, before the return of Christ. And I would, this may be what you were saying, but like, I would even nuance that a little bit and say partial recapitulation. It doesn't mean that everything is in both of them, but there are partials um, in, in each of them. Yeah. So one is symbolic of uh, the unbelievers experience 
Uh, yeah. Well, let's let's go first. One is symbolic of the believer's experience, for example, right. the, 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 the seals. And one is symbolic of the unbeliever's experience, God's wrath upon unbelievers, even in this day and age throughout history, God is pouring mm-hmm. out his wrath against unbelievers, Romans 1, right? Right, um, yeah. So you would say this is your interpretation, right? So neither yeah, of us, so. mm-hmm. neither of us fit into chronological. Uh, you would be more recapitulation. Um, uh, I'm, I'm similar to that, but I, uh, so finally getting to my interpretation, I'm sorry. Uh, I would take a third view, um, at least as of right now, uh, I would take a third view uh, that might be called like uh, uh, nesting. Uh, what, what are the, is it like the Russian nesting dolls? Is that what it's called? Like yeah. you might have on your like counter where like you have mm-hmm. a bigger doll and you open it up, there's a smaller doll in it. There's a smaller, 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 right? Um, is it Russian or is it German? Russian no, it's nesting? Russian. Yeah. Russian nesting doll. All right. Uh, my mom never had those, but uh, regardless, um, Russian nesting Russian. dolls, uh, she's not. Uh, so, um, I tend to take G- uh, George Ladd's uh, common interpretation here, meaning that when you get to the seventh seal contained within the seal uh, is the trumpets. Uh, and uh, I think that I'm going to have the opinion of when you get to the seventh uh, trumpet, you have within the seventh trumpet or as a response to seven trumpet, the seven bowls. I could be on a different page when we get that far down in the book. But I think, whereas you say that the silence is the extent of the seventh seal, I think contained within the seven seals is the, uh, the, the seven trumpets. Um, so uh, it's, it's church age, long, 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 long period. And then within the seventh seal, you've got kind of um, uh, a, a more future uh, in, uh, intensification intensification of wrath i i definitely think there's wrath happening now against unbelievers i'm in agreement with you romans one uh god's wrath is being poured out against unbelievers by removing conviction right letting them have letting them have um the due penalty for their error uh right receiving themselves a due penalty for their error but i do think when we see the seven trumpets uh it's a a period of time that god finally unleashes and vindicates uh his people from the fifth seal so that so the, the the trumpets are a response to the fifth seal yeah now i would even agree with that uh, i would definitely agree that the trumpets are a response to the fifth seal because the fifth seal was talking about the prayers of the saints the prayers of the martyrs underneath the altar and so i think you can see here in this passage in chapter eight that that it, it even says as much uh, in verse three, and another angel came and stood at the altar with the golden censer and given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. Now, yeah. now we could say there's a nuance there because it says the prayers of all the saints, not just the prayers of the martyrs. Right. And so even though, even though the, the martyrs had prayed that there, they weren't the only ones praying uh, for vindication uh, they weren't the only ones that offer prayers to the Lord. And so uh, that's probably where, honestly, um, part of my interpretation comes is it's not just those around around the altar or around, yeah, around the altar, the martyrs there, but it is all of the saints making those prayers. And so that's one of the things that makes me seem to think that it is that this wrath that's being poured out is in response to all the church's prayer, not just those in heaven. So. so let's talk about a couple of things here, because I think you bring up some good points. So God's wrath is being poured out now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's very clear yeah. in Romans one that yeah. that as people reject God, that he turns them over to their desires. And that is a form of wrath because it's ultimately going to lead to their destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, wrath is being poured out continually, even though it may not be what some people have pictured in their mind is the wrath of God. Mm. But if what, I mean, what would be worse than, than the continual hardening of a heart against God, because we know where that leads. If, if eternity is truly set in the heart of man, and we believe that there is an eternal destination for mankind. Um, uh, a lot of times when we picture wrath, we picture, okay, hellfire brimstone, maybe even kind of mm-hmm. the idea of what Job experienced kind of thing. Like, right. I mean, just boils and, and lesions. Um, but Romans seems to make clear that uh, there is a, um, 
a unique period of time happening right now before the final, final, final judgment where God expresses his wrath in removing conviction and -hmm. allowing people um, to receive in themselves um, uh, physical, maybe, uh, consequences of their sin uh, Mm -hmm. as he uh, spiritually hardens their heart. Yeah, Yeah, Romans 1. Um, And I would agree with you on that. Um, I do think, you know, uh, in my perspective of Romans 8, uh, I I don't not agree with that. I just think this is pointing more toward the final when we get to the trumpets, of course. And so, um, so let's, let's look at something real fast because I do think there's heavily correlation, as you mentioned, uh, between the fifth seal and, um, the, uh, uh, what's taking place in revelation eight, whether it's the content of the, the trumpet or, or the content of the seal or the beginning transition point of the trumpets. Um, now you mentioned before we even do that, I, I want to ask you another question. You mentioned that there's a difference between revelation six and revelation eight. Let's look at it. So revelation six says when he opened the fifth seal, so before the trumpets, I saw under the altar, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So these are those that had died for their faith mm-hmm. in the heavenly throne room, underneath an altar. This is symbolic underneath an altar. They cried out with a loud voice. O sovereign Lord, holy and true. How long before you will judge and avenge the blood on those who dwell on the earth, avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Um, then they were each given a white robe. They were told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So um, just as a brief um, introduction to what we're saying here, these are people that had died at any point in time throughout church, the church age for their faith, um, crying out to God for vindication. God, when will you um, vindicate us and bring vengeance against uh, an unbelieving and wicked world, right? And what Jesus's response is to them is, wait, I will, right? Um, but not yet rest. There are more that will still die for their faith. So then we get to Revelation 8. And um, so I, I take Revelation 8 to be the final response to that. They've been crying out through the church age. Many more people have been dying um, uh, for their faith. And uh, the response of rest does not mean that there's not wrath happening throughout the church age. Right. The response of rest is that there one day will be a time where they don't have to rest anymore. They'll see the vindication. And so um, I think Revelation 8, in my opinion, is the final day where they see the response of the Lord bringing an answer to them of vindication in the future. Of course, this is where we differ. But I think you brought, but I think you brought up something really interesting that before I argue my point or, or either of us do, you mentioned that there's a difference. Uh, and I think it's worth noting um, that the prayers that are going up from the altar are not just the prayers of the martyrs, but prayers of the saints. That is those that have died for the faith and those that are still around. So, so let me ask you an interesting question here, Corey. Um, if it means not martyrs, that saints are pray- praying for God to bring judgment upon the world. Are we to pray for that? Well, we do pray for that. Okay. Um, and the reason, what I mean is, is that like, even whenever the disciples um, asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. I mean, what was his response? He, he taught them, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will birth is in heaven. And so what God is doing in this is hallowing his name. Um, he, is, he is very much coming against people who have not hallowed his name, who have taken his name and used it as a byword or a curse word or whatever, like he's just rebelled against him completely. And so I believe that you do see God hallowing his name in this. And so like, we need to understand the implications of that prayer um, because his, his kingdom coming on earth is going to mean, is going to mean obedience um, but not all people are willing to obey, right? And so there has to be justice pulled um, out on people for that. There has to be hmm. wrath that comes as a result of those that have rebelled. 
And so I think so, you do pray for that. Maybe okay. not, maybe not overtly, but for sure, sure in that prayer. Sure. So there's examples in the Old Testament of David um, uh, uh, praying. Uh, um, help me out with the name of the prayer. What do you call? Oh, the um, imprecatory song. Okay. So the imprecatory yes, prayers, songs. right? So a, a sort of righteous indignation, um, uh, right-headed anger against the wicked. God destroy them. I mean, you read some Psalms and I mean, I've had students come up to me and be like, Hey, like, is this something I should pray? Right. Like, should I be okay with this? God break the teeth out of their mouths, you know? Um, dash your, so, dash your babies upon the rocks. Right. That's a scary one. Right. Right. So um, I don't know that we see any type of um, encouragement. Hey, pray for this. Right. Um, I don't know that we want to take every, uh, every, uh, psalm uh as a prescription uh for every believer at all times right but i think you're right in okay god we want you to uh make your name holy and we want you to be holy across the earth by whatever means necessary and we know that part of that is your justice and though we do cry out for justice right um I mean, when you really consider, we've had it pretty good here in America, when you consider that there's brothers and sisters, and I don't mean to get graphic here, but brothers and sisters in North Korea who are watching their families get their toenails ripped off and saying, repent, or or, recant, sorry, recant of your beliefs. I mean, there is a sense to which it is okay to say, God, would you bring justice there, right? Um, And so uh, a lot of times in the Old Testament, especially, um, those are similar situations. So... um, it's okay to cry out, I think, for justice. Um, but, uh, you know, it doesn't say to the, to the martyrs to say, you know, keep praying that, uh, you know, very specific prayers about them being destroyed, but rest, rest a little longer. Uh, Romans 12 is a good example of that. It's a, it's a, it's a passage that, that, that Paul writes basically to rest that, um, uh, you know, do not avenge yourselves, brothers. Vengeance is the Lord. Uh, Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord, right? So mm-hmm, right. we do not take the Lord's vengeance for ourselves and enact our own justice. We, in some cases, just trust the Lord and don't take from him his, don't take from him what's rightfully his. So, yeah. um, and I think it's good to remember too, that those imprecatory Psalms will be, will be fulfilled in Christ. Mm-hmm. Like ultimately he will have victory over his enemies. And so like, if you want to pray it in that way, but I think in our flesh, sometimes we want to pray it with a, with an eye to vengeance to get rid of my enemies rather than get rid of your enemies, Lord, you know, yeah, take vengeance good. on your enemies. And yeah. so we, we, yeah. we put ourselves in his place too often. Yeah. Daniel serving Nebuchadnezzar 20 years, seeing Jerusalem slowly burned, and eventually, Daniel, probably because he prayed for Nebuchadnezzar so much, uh, in Daniel chapter uh, 4, uh, he prays that what Nebuchadnezzar would experience from the Lord would be for Nebuchadnezzar's enemies. I mean, goodness, mm-hmm. Nebuchadnezzar was a terrible guy. Yeah. Right? I mean, a horrible guy. And Daniel yeah. had to watch it happen almost as his, like, servant. So, yeah. um, you know, we don't have any indication that, uh, that Daniel prayed for Nebuchadnezzar's death. Uh, we do have that Daniel stood up for the Lord at every chance he got. And we do have, I think, now this is getting my own interpretation here, but I think Nebuchadnezzar repenting and potentially coming to the Lord in Daniel chapter four because yeah. of Daniel's witness. So um, let's get back to the text. Uh, that's on that's on me for asking some questions that derailed us here. But um, so definitely some sort of answer to the fifth seal here. Uh, and if I can just paint the picture, help me paint the picture. What's happening is basically uh, an angel uh, is uh, is bringing the prayers of the saints before the Lord, which are prayers for judgment. Um, in this case, I mean, there could have been more prayers, but definitely prayers of judgment here uh, against a wicked world for persecution and martyrdom. The prayers rise up to the, the Lord with a... An, a, a, a um, what's it called? A censer. There we go. And uh, the angel, uh, after bringing the prayers before the Lord, fills the censer with coals that he brought before the Lord. And um, kind of as an interesting way to just illustrate it, he takes the coals and just flings the coals upon the world, right? Um, Regardless of what interpretation you have, this is uh, uh, a direct response to God's people crying out for 
vindication and it's answered in the uh, response that the angel has uh, mm. as directed under the authority of the Lord on the throne. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, before we go on and talk about the, the trumpets themselves, I think one thing that's interesting too, is that you have before this one angel does this, it, uh, John says, then I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Now, I, I don't know, like I read in some commentaries that, um, those seven angels may correlate with the seven angels of the seven churches. Right. I read and, that um, yeah. and so like, if you think about the persecution that, 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 that the seven churches were experiencing, it, it would make sense that these are standing before the Lord and, and again, um, representing the churches before him. And so God is, is vindicating his people. Um, and you can see that clearly through this. So, so a good, just, um, applicable thought here is, Hey, Christian, listening to this in, uh, Asia, um, in a, context that is uh, hostile to the gospel and uh, hey Christian who knows a family member or a friend who has experienced persecution um, hey believer that's beginning to experience what the, the, the recipients of first Peter experienced uh, in the early church the beginnings of mockery that would lead to uh, um, physical persecution uh, God will not be mocked yeah. uh, he will one day respond and because of his love for his children, he will not allow those that um, come against his children um, to, to, uh, to have victory. He will vindicate his people. And I think that is what Paul wants the Romans to know in Romans 12, that, uh, hey, you can rest assured that God will respond um, for those enemies that are coming against you you're praying for whether he saves them or whether he brings uh, heavy consequences against them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, response here, uh, God brings judgment. Uh, you think this is referring to judgment throughout uh, the church as uh, throughout the church age, um, eventually culminating in final judgment. We'd all agree in that, right? Bowls are most likely final judgment. Um, but uh, I would take, this is a future response after the martyrs and saints have rested a little while, God finally answers those prayers with a, 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 a series of heavy judgments. Right. Can I ask you a question? Uh, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not meaning to like throw you off here, but no, so, you're good. so if that's your interpretation, where do you, um, is this the end of the martyrdom? Uh, because because uh, God's response to the martyrs were there has to be a, the fullness of the number has to be gathered of the martyrs. Mm-hmm. And so is this, I'm just asking, do you believe this is the end of the martyrdom of the, of the believers? Can I say potentially? Okay, sure. sure. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not trying and, to trip you up. I'm just curious. No, 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 no. Yeah, you're fine. Um, potentially, because I, I, I think you bring up a phenomenal question there where I think, the strength of my response is, oh, this looks like he's here in the prayers under the altar, bringing the altar right back at them. He's finally answering the question, when will you bring vengeance? Um, uh, that's a really good question. Um, I will say this for the reader of Revelation, uh, without being able to give you a, 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 a sure answer, not getting as far into the book of Revelation as you have been and uh, as obviously, as long as it is, there's still stuff I haven't studied in it, but uh, I will say this, and I think we both agree with this. There's things that are going to happen in Revelation that, uh, uh, that the end of the seals and the tr- part of the trumpets, especially the end of the trumpets, most likely um, uh, the things that are to come, some of them will happen during and even before some things we're even reading right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do not agree right. that we're yeah. not thinking that that means at this point in revelation that there will be no point in the book further, more martyrs. Uh, yeah. um, I think, and I've already mentioned this, that the temple is not a physical temple, but is the church. So there's definitely still martyrdom that's going to be mentioned. Uh, but I would tend to, I think, lean that that is going to be before uh, the, the, the trumpets. I, I think I think that bears a repeating too that that we neither one of us would take revelation in necessarily a chronological order. So right. 
Right. And, I, and we both think you're going to run into quite a bit of difficulties to do so. Right. Um, yeah. Um, hey, uh, just one more thing before we go to the trumpets. I think you're going to have more comments on the trumpets. And I know we need to wrap this up relatively quickly. But um, I just think it's worth noting when you see this phrase, um, after the angel took the censer, they filled it with fire from the altar, threw it on the earth. Uh, it says there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Uh, you actually see that exact phrase multiple times throughout the book. And it's always talking about either what's around the throne or happening from the throne. Mm-hmm. So in Revelation 4, 5, when John's in the throne room, when he describes the 24 elders around the throne, when he describes the four living creatures, when he describes the rainbow, the emerald, all that different type of thing, the, the sea of glass, um, coming from the throne are these rumblings of thunder, lightning. Uh, later on in the book, uh, uh, in chapter 11, verse 19, you see the same thing. The throne is being uh, uh, is before the earth. There's once again, these uh, peals of thunder, lightning, earthquake. Uh, again, uh, in chapter 16, verse 18, it mentions the same phrase and it says, as there has not been yet. So it almost intensifies. Um, but from the throne around the throne, uh, there, there seems to be constant uh, earthquakes, lightning, thunder, um, either brought to earth from the throne or around the throne. And, it, and it's a reminder of Exodus 19, because in Exodus 19 on Mount Sinai, you had the same experience when the Lord descended upon mm-hmm. Mount Sinai, the people, even the people of God were afraid. And they say, uh, Moses, you, you go speak to him because we're going to die if we do. Yeah. And uh, uh, Moses says, fear not. Uh, for he has put that before you so that the fear of him will be ever before you. You're like, I thought you just said fear not. And you are the fear of God before me all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's basically trying to say here, I think, um, that uh, the fear of God is to be before you, not so that you run from him, but that you consistently st- uh, 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 are on your knees before him right. in awe and wonder and obedience. So um, I just think it's worth noting that these kind of happenings tend to symbolize the presence of God mm-hmm. and yeah, it seems to get closer and closer to the earth as the book of absolutely. revelation happens. Yeah. yeah. All right. Why don't we look at the trumpets? How's that? Okay. So you want you to pick it up at verse six. I'm going to pass the baton over to you. I think you have more to say. Well, I'm not sure I, I will or not, but uh, I think there's several things that you see here. And there, again, there's, there's various interpretations of how you take these trumpets and, I think there can be a corollary back. Some people have seen a corollary back to the plagues that were poured out on Egypt. Um, and the fact that uh, it, God delivered his people from Egypt and he sent all of the different plagues against what you would say would be the Egyptian gods, I guess would be. Um, and, and, but also in that process uh, was delivering his people. And so um, there are some correlations with these, uh, then other people would see, well, these are very much natural phenomenon that are happening because you got the mention of hail. Uh, you've got the mention of what some, this great mountain, some would take that to be a meteor or something like that. Um, second trumpet. Yes. Yes. Second yeah. trumpet. Um, and then, no, no, I, I apologize. The, the great mountain, some tape, some people take that to be like a volcano. The third one uh, would be uh, a the great meteor, a uh, wormwood they think is coming down uh, and falling on the earth. And then the fourth one, um, I can't remember what, what they correlate that to, but, but anyway, they, they view them as natural phenomenon as far as like natural disasters of some kind. And then other, other people would view them uh, in a symbolic nature as we have been looking at revelation more symbolically. Um, you, you notice that on the first trumpet, there was a, a third of the trees burned up all of the green grass, a, a third of the earth. And so, um, some people think, well, that that is a correlation back to, again, the seals, um, where what would happen if a third of those things were burned up? That you would have extreme famine because much of the vegetation of the earth uh, would be burned up. And so people would be experiencing uh, famine and hunger. Um, the second one, some people see a correlation back again to the seals where you have this economic disaster that has happened because all of the sea uh, has, has um, 
has been all the sea trade has been interrupted uh, the ships were destroyed and so you have this economic collapse um the the third one this wormwood is described in the old testament um you remember at mara where they uh, they had to where they had to throw something in the water to make it sweet so they could drink it but this wormwood is talked about in the old testament and always in the old testament it symbolizes suffering and so some people think this is just representative of the suffering of people um, on the earth. And then you've got this last one here, this, this catastrophic um, day again, where, where the light is darkened, um, the moon and the stars are burned out and those kind of things. And so um, there's various interpretations. And, and to be honest with you, um, I kind of I want to take all three. <laughs> and that's probably not fair. That's probably straddling the fence. But I, I do, I do think that there is some ways in which these things could correlate to the plagues. I think there's some mm-hmm. ways that they could correlate disaster, and I think there's some symbolic meaning in all of these as well. And so, you know, depending on which which vein you want to take, like we have to understand that there, if if we believe that the wrath of God is being poured out now, like some of these things could be happening now. And in that you have both the wrath of God coming against people that have rebelled against him, but also um, you have the, you have some believers getting, they're, they're not escaping the consequences say of a natural disaster, but ultimately the, the believers are sealed for the day of redemption. They're, they're sealed from the wrath of God. They're not experiencing this wrath because even if, even if a believer is taken up in a natural disaster and killed, like, what is their, what, what is their, um, what comes after that? What's blessing in the presence of God? So you can't say that they are, you can't say that they're experiencing the wrath of God, even if natural disaster comes upon them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't want to get too far ahead here, but, but I think one of the interesting things that you see is you can almost, I think instead of seeing that these are coming against just people, I, w- I want us to see that these are coming against God's physical creation. So, so you have this decreation that's happening. Um, and, and all of creation has been subjected under the sin of man. And so for the, for, hope that it will be liberated uh, with the yeah. sons of God. Romans and so, uh, so, so I'm not saying that people aren't affected by these. They're definitely affected by these, but I think it's significant that the judgment is coming against the creation itself. Mm. Um, and there's, there's this decreation kind of happening because God has to make things new. And you saw a decreation that happened in um, story where the flood came because you remember in creation God separated the waters above and He separated the earth or separated the waters below, creating um, creating land. Well, whenever the flood comes, you have this decreation where now all of this water is coming back together um, mm. over the land, and He He's starting anew. And so, like you could see this wrath of God. Um, coming and so maybe I'm arguing your point more than mine here, but you could hey, almost take see it, this decree. Yeah, you could almost see this decreation happening because God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and and that wrath will come and the and the end result will be this new creation that God brings forth for His people. I I would fully agree with everything you said and come on in the water is fine on my. Uh, interpretation. So no, no, it's, that's really, really good. I think it's helpful to think, okay, there's definitely uh, some sort of um, uh, Egyptian plague references here. There's definitely some symbolic references here. We don't want to take it too literal here. Uh, if you, if you were to take it too literal, especially chronologically, um, how is a third of the sun, moon, and the stars taken away if they've already fallen back in the sixth seal? Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, you're going to have some interpretive issues pretty quick there. Mm-hmm. Right. If you take it too literal and too chronological. Um, so uh, let me ask you this question. And uh, because I don't know that I want to get into anything that you already mentioned. I think you did very, very well. I think, um, you know, I'm going to think probably a little more literal than than you might. 
um, not that these are not symbolic, but literal as in, okay, these are um, probably more intense than just something we don't notice. I think they're probably tangibly noticeable by believers as the judgment of God um, against unbelievers and not to be experienced probably fully by believers, because I think this is after the church is sealed and a, a future judgment to come. Right. I'm down with that. Okay. Right. So, um, but I think you were wise in saying uh, you mentioned uh, unbelievers and believers alike experience um, uh, the wrath of God in a sense, in that if there's a natural disaster, that might be God's wrath, but that doesn't mean a Christian's not exempt from um, experiencing just a natural disaster. And God can be doing, and I, I just read, read this in the book Providence by John Piper, God can be doing a million things and intending a million things in a million things, right? So intending a million outcomes to different groups of people and different individual people in a million different things occurring across the world at any point in time, right? Yeah. And so he can be intending wrath with one event and in the same event, he can be intending, intending discipline in the same event. Right. Right. Um, so I think that's just helpful to note that it's going to be really hard for us to say in every event, oh, this is the judgment of God. This is the discipline of God. This is what he's doing. Because uh, we, we know that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Uh, we know that there's right. uh, sinful effects of, uh, or sorry, effects of sinful humanity, effects of the fall. And so uh, that's, I think that's really wise that you mentioned all those things. Yeah. There was a, there was a pastor that was here in Batesville long before my time, but um, well, I say long before my time, he was preaching here long before my time, but I, I knew him briefly um, before he passed away. And, and he was around during Hurricane Katrina, whenever it hit New Orleans. And I remember him saying that a lot of people ask him, was that the wrath of God uh, that came against New Orleans? And I loved his response because he said, well, it sure wasn't the blessing, you know? <laughs> and so like, you can't say definitively, is that the wrath of God? But it sure wasn't the blessing of God on that city because a lot of people lost everything. You know, and a lot of and people lost their lives. And so, and some people um, lost their eternity. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, um, I, I, again, I don't want to jump in front of you here, but like one thing I think that's important to see in these trumpet, um, these trumpets as well is that there is limitation yeah. because it only says a third, like a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the ships were destroyed. Um, right. a third of the waters became wormwood and a third of the sun, moon, and stars were darkened. And so I think there's limited, there's limited judgment, if you will. So there's still opportunity here for people to repent. So you see right. in limited judgment, you see God's mercy in that. Um, and so we, we definitely want to make sure that we understand that, that, that anytime, no matter what form this is going to take, there is opportunity for, for repentance. And I think that is part of the intention of God in bringing about these things is to not only judge the wicked and rebellious, but to gather more in um, to the kingdom. Yeah. And, and the scripture is very clear about that. So revelation nine twenty. this is talking about the trumpet judgments, the rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues did not use the word plagues right? Did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols and gold and silver, bronze, stone, wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, did, nor did they repent of their murders, their sorceries, or their sexual morality, or their thefts. That means there was still opportunity to repent, right? Mm -hmm. right. And so um, let me just, and, and can I comment on one more thing before we close? Sure. Um, so, and of course, in, in my interpretation here, um, and, and I, I, we have similarities because I think even now, God is patient, not wishing to perish. He's pouring out his wrath. And so people still can repent, even with wrath that's coming upon the earth in the church age, right? Um, I think these are an intensification at the very, very end before the final judgment, where there's still an opportunity for repentance, right? Seals, um, trumpets as a response, and then most likely final judgment after that or similar, close to that. Um, but regardless, uh, maybe a good question here is, Okay, why would he mention the sealing of believers um, for before the trumpets? Right now, we could talk about eternal security for sure. Right, mm -hmm. but um, if if there is a lot of similarity here, 
with uh, the Egyptian plagues, uh, weren't the Hebrew Israelites in the same vicinity as the Egyptians who received the plagues? Now, did they receive all of the plagues? No, no I mean, I don't, I don't think they received the land them. of Goshen. Some of the, they weren't affected. Yeah. That's where they, so, that's where the Israelites were. So there are no boils there. Uh, they're because they were covered by the lamb's blood, the seal, huh, right? The yeah. seal over the door frame. No sons were killed, right. but, but many might say, okay, okay. Revelation eight, all this stuff is happening. How are believers? They're on the earth, right? They want to say no believers on the earth. They can't because the earth is experiencing this. Therefore, the believers can't be here. Well, we haven't seen the rapture yet in this passage uh, or in the in the book of Revelation. We would argue, right? Mm-hmm. We don't think the church is gone. How is the church not experiencing this? Well, how did the people of God not experience it in Egypt? Because God can do that kind of thing, right? Yeah, like absolutely. He can have some people experience it while others not. Um, and yeah, He can play, take believers home if if He wants to. They've been sealed, right? They, they they're going to go home for mm-hmm. eternity. Uh, right. There were people still that died during the plagues that were, uh, that were Hebrews, right? Because at some point in time you die, right? So, um, but they didn't receive the plagues. And I don't think we will either by virtue of our ceiling. So absolutely, um, there's my tangent. <laughs> so No, that's good. I think that's absolutely right. And, uh, and I think that's something we can put our hope in because like, yeah. it's scary to think about man being around through all of that stuff. But if you have the seal of God on you and you're, mm. you know, we, we may encounter some physical things, but the wrath, the things that are meant as the wrath of God, right. you won't experience because you're sealed. It's good. So tribulation is a word used for what believers will experience. That includes persecution, the wrath of God. Uh, we believers have not been destined for that. So we will not experience the wrath of God because Jesus did in our place. Good reminder of the gospel right. here. Right. So, um, Corey, do you want to land the plane? Any, any more thoughts you have? Oh uh, man, I think we've, I think we've hit them all that, that I wanted to cover. And so, awesome. um, anything else you want to, you want to say? Nah, I'm excited. All right, man. To study the well, book. Uh, <laughs> We just want to thank you all for being with us again this week. And, and we can, we will continue to grapple with one another. And uh, we hope you join us as we do that. And uh, you know, we, we may have different views going forward, but again, uh, Trent's my brother in Christ and a fellow servant of the gospel. And so uh, even if we disagree, we can agree on the fact that, uh, that Christ is King and we have hope in him. So we hope you join us next time uh, as we look at chapter nine in revelation.